first reading comes from Psalm 2 and it can be found on page 532 of the Church Bible. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Our second reading is from Matthew, chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 13 through to verse 17, found on page 957 of the Bible from the foyer. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Well, I received an email one day. It came into my inbox. I knew it was coming. It was an invitation. I'd been told the invitation was coming. Uh, However, when I opened up the attachment, the invitation was a little bit different to what I expected. There were some general instructions about uh, getting to the location, what time to arrive, that morning and afternoon tea would be provided, and I thought, great, I'm going to get fed, that's good. But then on one of the pages, at the top of the page, in capital letters, it said, Important information for award leaders. Dress code, and this was in bold. Award leaders are reminded that His Excellency is the Queen's representative and as such are requested to dress appropriately for this vice-regal occasion. Uh, Gentlemen, suit and tie. I can tell you what I'm wearing now would not be suitable. It very clearly said no jeans, for example. You may be wondering what I got this invitation for. Uh, I'd helped a student at my school to get his Gold Duke of Edinburgh Award, which gets presented by the Governor of New South Wales. And because I'd helped, I was an award leader, I was invited to come to the ceremony. And I thought, oh, that's nice. I get to go to a ceremony and watch him receive it. Uh, But it, it, it went on. Let me tell you a bit more of what it said. In the title and greeting, 
His Excellency General the Honourable David Hurley, AC, DSC, whatever they mean, retired Governor of New South Wales. When first presented to the Governor, you should address him as Your Excellency. And from then on, as Sir or Governor. The Governor's wife should be addressed as Mrs Hurley at all times. The correct protocol when meeting the Governor for men and women is to make a court bow. Does anyone know what a court bow is? Some people do because they were here this morning and heard me say it once or twice. A court bow is not a full-on bow like this. It's just to incline the head slightly. And what you do is you're walking up to the governor, you walk up, you stop a pace in front of the governor and then just bow your head slightly and then you go on, shake his hand, good afternoon, your excellency. And then the next page had some specific instructions about receiving a gift. On receiving this, I can tell you I was struck with a sense of awe. I knew I was going to be invited, but I didn't expect that I was going to meet the governor personally or that if I did, that I was going to have to go through certain steps and and meet certain standards. I didn't even expect that I was going to get some sort of gift. I can tell you I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. In fact, when I went up to go and receive my gift from the governor, I remember stopping a pace in front and doing my court bow. After that, it's a bit of a blur. Uh, I don't remember if I actually said good afternoon your excellency properly I remember shaking his hand I remember we had a photo and he gave me the gift Uh, I stumbled a bit over my words from memory Uh, I can tell you though at least I didn't do what one recipient did this is a big no-no if you ever meet the governor or someone like this Uh, you make sure you get the handshake right and if you get it wrong you don't put your hand behind the governor on his back that's just wrong Okay, just so you know for next time. Uh, so uh, that, that was sort of what it was like um, for me. I didn't expect it. I was in awe. I was in a bit of shock. You know, today as we look at Matthew chapter 3, I, I wonder whether we get a little glimpse of something a bit like that. Where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming out But he's almost in a bit of shock and awe. He he doesn't think that this is right. He he quite doesn't know how to respond. And and so this is what he does. Let's let's have a look in verse 13 in Matthew chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? John recognises Jesus straight away. He probably should. They are cousins after all. However, John recognises something more about Jesus than what we might see if we were just to see him walk up and get baptised. John seems to know that Jesus doesn't need to be baptised. Now, if you remember from last week, Dave talked about uh, John being out at the river and doing this baptism of repentance. Why doesn't Jesus need to be baptised? He doesn't need to repent. What has Jesus ever done wrong? And John knows that as his cousin, you might say, at one level. And so he turns it around and he says, look, Jesus, I know you're coming, but really it should be the other way around. You should be baptising me. I'm the one who needs to repent. I know that. You've never done anything wrong. 
You're sinless. Uh, Let me go back a little bit to the Duke of Ed presentation that I went to. I remember afterwards we went to Government House. And I want to say, as someone who's starting to gain an appreciation for history, it's worth doing just to see the pictures of the governors of New South Wales and even then to start thinking, how do they fit in? What have they done? Well, anyway, we went there afterwards and I've just realised my pages are way out of order. That's going to make life interesting later, isn't it? Anyway, I remember going there afterwards and and we were in a conversation. I was in conversation with the the mum and dad and the the student that I was there with, the, the four of us. The governor was in a conversation behind us. And then he turned around to talk to us. I couldn't believe it. Here we were. I've already met him. I've already got a gift. Now he's actually in a conversation with us. But before, I was like, I looked at him thinking, does he remember me? Does he already know that I've said hello and, and whatever? What do I do here? Do I approach him again as, good afternoon, Your Excellency? Or do I say, hello, governor? Or what, what do I, and I can just remember freezing again. Gee, I'm hopeless around authority, aren't I? I've got no idea what to do. Uh, I almost wonder if John's a little bit like that. Here he is before Jesus and he suggests, no, look, Jesus, this is not right. And I wonder if we are in awe of the son, a little bit like I was of the governor, are we in awe of the son like John is? Not just in terms of a meeting, but in spiritual sense. Do we recognise who Jesus is? How do we approach him? Uh, Psalm 2 was read earlier and and there's lots of ideas coming up here in Matthew that come back from Psalm 2 and there we're reminded that the most powerful, the kings, the rulers are meant to have the right approach and attitude towards the Son. It says in verse 10 of Psalm 2, Therefore you kings be wise, be warned you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know, I think our society struggles with the concept of respecting authority. We'll do it, but I think we only do it when somebody has the idea that we agree with. And so we'll follow that person and champion them whilst they agree with us. As soon as they start disagreeing, we start to lose respect for them. We start to sort of put them down a little bit. And our society's got very good at doing that. It's lost respect for authority and it's lost respect for the supreme authority. You just had to read the newspaper during the first week of January to see how that respect has been lost. There was a whole discussion about Christmas and what it means and and it turned into a discussion about God and his existence. Now, it's interesting watching the change of language that's happened. In the past, atheists were very quiet to say, hey, I'm an atheist. They then became very bold, except I think they've realised that's a very arrogant claim because it means you've looked everywhere and know there's no God. 
So now, rather than saying we're atheists, they say we're anti-theists. We're anti the idea of God. Notice how it's become about the idea, not about the person. And so reading these letters, when they really get going, they start to refer to our imaginary friend or the big sky daddy. They've lost this concept of there being a God and they are so arrogant and bold now that they just state it plainly. We are anti-God, anti the idea of God. And they don't really care what others say. They may have some sort of logic to their argument, but they won't often listen to logic given back to them. So what about us? How are we thinking about God? How are we thinking about Jesus? Do we have that sense of awe that John had when he saw Jesus walking up to him? What would we do if we saw Jesus coming? Would we actually submit to him? Or would we say, no, no, I've got it worked out, Jesus, let's do it this way. What's our view of Jesus? Well, John does recognise Jesus' greatness. And into this context, we see Jesus' response. Verse 15, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. Baptism. It's one of those things, those symbols almost you might say, that I wonder if we've pushed it to the side a little bit. Now, rightly, we don't want to see baptism as a way of earning our salvation. It doesn't get us to heaven any faster or any better for that matter. So we don't want to do it to be saved. But when you think about baptism, with any baptism, there's some sense of symbol and depth to what's going on. The person to be baptised, they come out, they go under the water, they come up clean, representing their new life they've just started. John was doing a baptism of repentance. They needed to repent. Jesus doesn't need that, but he goes down under the water And I think it's actually answering John's earlier question about baptism and maybe he's extending the idea of baptism to say this is the start. This is the start of Jesus' mission. Inaugurated at this point, started here, begun here for Jesus to be able to go on in his mission. However, at the same time, what it does do is it puts Jesus on the same level as us, needing to be baptised. It equates him with us as humans. Here is God himself going through what we do and being baptised. You know, when I think about it, it's like Jesus, who is the authority figure, becoming the human. It's the type of leader you almost want, isn't it? When I was chatting with David Hurley, uh, well, not me, but actually the dad I was with, he was actually very good. He asked some questions about David Hurley's high school time and where he'd been to school, and we found out about a cadet group that had started up while he was at school, and that, of course, led him into the, into the military. But uh, I got impressed because the governor became like David. 
He was just this friendly guy that was able to chat with us and he, he actually almost had to be dragged away from us to go and talk to others. Uh, that was what I found very interesting, that he just wanted to share. He was very human. And I wonder if that's a bit of the picture we're getting here of Jesus. Yes, Jesus' authority is, is of a very different order. He's not a man who's earned his position. He is, he always was, he always will be God. And yet the unique Christian message is that God became human. In reading these letters to the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, one thing that didn't come through strongly was Jesus. You see, I I can understand it. Most of the responses from Christians dealt with the logic of the people who were arguing. But I wonder whether Jesus could have been used a little bit more. Because logically, Jesus breaks the rules. If I was to set up the rules, the logical rules would be God is God, human is human. You don't cross between the two. But what happens? God becomes human. He fully equates with us. He fully understands us. Jesus goes through this baptism and what it does is bring forward to us that unique Christian message that God has become man. But this hasn't even got us to the real highlight of the passage yet. We've still got a little bit to go. You see, the real highlight of the passage is right near the end of it when it changes. Imagine for a moment you were out there at the Jordan River watching this baptism happen, or these baptisms. And you've maybe been baptised yourself and then you see this one man come down and John tries to stop him. You're thinking, hang on, this is a bit different. John, it seems, wants to baptise people who want to repent. But with this one, John says, no, you should baptise me. That's a bit unusual. But John submits and baptises him. But then the next scene, what happens next? As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It should cause us to pause and to think, what is the significance of this event? What is the importance of these words? And I've already hinted at it. We have a picture here of Jesus' mission and his mission begins at this point. Like with human baptism, this new life, this life where Jesus has a set purpose and path has become clear. But the voice reveals something about this man. He is loved by God and God is pleased with him. We could go back again to Psalm 2 where we get that picture revealed again. And it says in verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. 
Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Jesus, on his way to glory, the mission starts here, the the work starts here for him. He is the one promised by God way back in Psalm chapter 2. The Son of God. And it's a mission that will find its fulfilment, the righteous fulfilment in Jesus' death and uh, resurrection. Now Jesus is recognised as God's Son, the one who will be king. However, his way to kingship is through suffering. It's through his death on the cross and his resurrection. The other passage that another passage you could go to is Isaiah chapter forty two. Here we see a little bit more of Jesus' mission. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Remember he said, With him I am well pleased. I will put my spirit on him. We saw the spirit come down from heaven, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes his justice on earth. In his teachings or teaching, the islands will put their hope. So this baptism, while seeming like any ordinary old baptism, turns into an extraordinary baptism. A recognition of who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus doesn't need to be baptised, but he's equated with humanity. But when he comes up out of that water, that symbol, that sign of heaven opening it's like the barrier between us and God just for that little glimpse of a moment is broken apart and God speaks to us and what does he say look at this guy this is the one you need to know this is the one you've been waiting for this is the promised one the one who will bring justice the one who will be the ultimate authority And this is the Lord we follow. This is our Lord who understands our weaknesses yet rises above it to be the ruler of all. We may not like human authority, but Jesus has every right because he is the godly authority. And so we should follow him. Follow him closely. Our lives should reflect that idea of awe of Jesus, that he is the authority over us. So how are we going to follow him in his mission this year? I've had a few thoughts. I was thinking about what we think, what we say, and what we do. In my previous job, or place of work, should I say, uh, I had a colleague who would read his Bible every day. And every morning we had a meeting uh, with a staff group of staff. And on the way down to this meeting, 
I can remember time and time and time again, he would encourage me by saying, oh, you know, I was reading this this morning. And it might have been from John or Romans, whatever book he was up to. And boy, did he go to depth. And then he'd say, theological question for the day, which he'd then throw at me. Uh, Now, I may have done a little bit of study in the Bible. I'm not great at asking questions. I love it when they get thrown at me because I then have to go away and think about it. And invariably, that's what I had to do with this guy. But what an encouragement. Here he was taking his mind captive to God's word and wrestling with it, trying to understand it better. How are we going at taking our minds captive to God's word, at reading it, at thinking of or considering theological questions of the day? What about your words? How do we respond to the anti-theist, the person who's opposed to God? It's a good question. Last year, a friend of mine, who I've known for quite some time, a friend of mine who we've been involved in Christian missions together, we studied at university together. In fact, we actually were part of the Christian group there and had many discussions about the Bible and what we believe. Uh, who I've been praying for for many years to deal with some struggles. He wrote a blog, an article, and the title of the article was, I Might Be Wrong. What did he mean by that? I might be wrong about Christianity. And so as part of the article, as part of what he wrote, he said, so therefore I no longer call myself a Christian. It's one of the saddest blog posts I've read. I'm really concerned for him. And so I keep praying for him. He's pretty regular on Facebook, so he gives me good reminders. Doesn't always write about that sort of thing, all sorts of things. But I was upset. How to respond to him? He'd looked at the evidence, he'd thought through the logic And he's very well thought out, I can tell you that now. He's far more thought out than I am in some ways. But the thing I couldn't help but think is, how do you respond to Jesus? Yes, we can deal with all these logical arguments, but what about Jesus? Now, thankfully, a few of our common friends actually wrote, have you thought about the evidence for Jesus' resurrection? I thought, that is a great answer. That's a great answer. Uh, But then I thought, I wonder whether we can push it a little bit further. You see, if we just take that one event of the resurrection, what do we miss out on? What about the rest of Jesus' life? I didn't put this in, but what about Jesus' baptism, where Jesus comes out to John to be baptised, and the heavens open, and a voice comes down. This is my son. Even those little glimpses, every little glimpse paints the picture. The picture of God becoming human. For my friend, all I can do is keep praying. I don't see him as much anymore, so I don't get to actually talk to him in person, but I continue to pray for him. What about your actions? How do your actions demonstrate that you are in Jesus' mission. 
<clears throat> I love being at Carajong. And I love the people here at this church. I love the way they care. I love the way you care. Uh, during the last few weeks, some of you would know that my son has been quite sick and been in hospital. Thanks be to God, he's on the mend. But you know how I know you care? I've been asked a few times, what can we do? I've been asked by a number of people, how's he going? That shows me those emails that get sent out with prayer requests are actually being prayed for. What an encouragement that is. And surely that is the greatest way to care. So we can be praying for people, but we can also be offering help. Uh, I love hearing stories of people who care for their neighbours. It might be random acts of kindness. It's not rostered. I'm not saying don't get on the rosters, but it's not rostered, but it's great when you hear about it. That people see a need and they jump in and help in an appropriate, generous, kind way. Let me encourage you, if you're one of those people, keep going. Keep doing it. Keep showing that Jesus is your Lord by the way you treat others. So today we've seen, hopefully, the start of Jesus' mission. But more than that, I'm hoping that you're seeing your mission to live with Jesus as your Lord, serving him, remembering what he's done for us. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we praise you as Lord of all who sent your Son into this world crossing the boundary between us and you. And we thank you that he died and rose again, bringing us life and bringing us into relationship with you. Father, please help us to be in awe of the Son and to live with him as our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.